you know what will cure this? Marriage. Marriage is the cure. It's it, it's a cure-all, right? You know, that's what they say. You, you know, you feed a fever, starve a cold, and for anything else, just get married. It'll be fine. <laughs> Greetings, travelers! Welcome back to Tales from the Enchant Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. That's me! If you've been following us on Twitter and Instagram at Tales from the Enchant Forest, then you will know that we have put on our ugliest fur coats to tell you this story. And let me tell you, they're not real fur coats that are cruel. And actually, no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Thank you very much. However, animals were harmed in the making of our French fairy tale today, which comes from Charles Perrault in 1965, titled Donkey Skin. Now, the different elements of the story of Donkey Skin can be traced back to Italy, to Giovanni Francesco Straparola and his story Doralice, and Giambattista Barsile's The She-Bear. The story itself is older than the written versions and has been passed down in the oral tradition throughout several regions, which is honestly a bit weird considering how weird this story is. It's very strange and it's got a lot of specific stuff that you just wouldn't think would like stick around, but maybe they were like us and were like, whoa, this is so weird, we must write it down detail for detail because no one will (laughs) believe us if we just say something like this happened. Or they might have just been like, well, this story was really weird and funky. Let's make our own version of it and make it just as weird and funky. Maybe. Either way, this is a fun story. It's a lot like Cinderella. And I can see why this story might not be as well known. Because in comparison to Cinderella, this has just a lot more going on. But Cinderella is a lot more simple. But it has a, it shares a lot of similar elements to it. But let's be real. This is way more fun to go through. It does have a lot of elements of Cinderella in it, but I think the one it resembles most closely for me is the Goose Girl fairy tale, Mm -hmm. where a princess or a noble girl of some kind of heritage, she has to disguise herself as a common goose girl. Um, And that's one that I read when I was very young. And so when I first read the story, that's the one that my mind jumped to. It's like, oh, it's the Goose Girl story where she has to take care of the geese and she becomes a servant but she's really you know a princess and then her identity becomes discovered after she has to you know remove her disguise you're totally right this does take a lot of elements from a lot of different stories but that's often how these stories end up you hear something when you're younger and then you think about it and you hear those stories again and again and you want to retell stories but then you also want to make your new ones so often these elements kind of get woven in to new stories well new at the time old for us Either way, I think we're pretty much ready to go. You ready? I'm all ready to go. Once upon a time, in a kingdom far, far away, there lived a powerful king. He was married to a very beautiful queen, and they had one daughter, whom you might have guessed was also a very beautiful princess. We are off to a very cliche start, but don't worry. This king has something that does him apart from the average fairy tale royal. You see, this king had a donkey. (gasps) I know, right? Who is a donkey? Who can afford a donkey in this economy? But yes, the king was able to have his very own donkey. Okay, so it wasn't just any donkey. You see, every morning... Instead of dung, it dropped a great load of gold coins upon the litter. As gross as this kind of thing was, the king was nevertheless quite pleased to have an endless supply of gold like this. Would you take gold from a donkey if it, um, kind of pooped it out? I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I was just thinking. I was like, well, <laughs> it depends. Is it just pooping out gold coins or is the poop, you know, like in the, I, d- I don't know. I I think I would. I just get a power washer, a pressure washer, and just, you know, wash it down every morning because then it's good as new. And also, I money itself is also very gross. Just regular That's money very that we every day. And we've both worked like retail jobs. We had cash registers oh, and we had yes. to use those. So I'm pretty sure we've probably touched poopy money before. Well, that's a thought I didn't need to have. <laughs> Moving on from the golden poop, sadly, one day, the queen got very, very ill, and no doctor was able to help alleviate the sickness. 
The queen's last wish was that the king would only remarry someone who was more beautiful and wiser than she was, so that he could produce a proper heir to the throne. But, you see, the queen was really confident that he would never find a woman like that, so she believed he would never remarry. Hopefully this doesn't backfire in any way. It's definitely going to. Fairy tales are so obsessed with dead mothers. And I have spent, well, I've, I've read a couple versions of this story. And mm-hmm. in all of them, mom dies. And mom dies and she's like, all right, you have to marry someone who has this very specific quality that I have. We have to marry someone who's you know, as beautiful as me. Which, to start off with, you think very highly of yourself. Oh, very egotistical. It's just, it's just like, oh my god, you'll never find anyone. Just tell him you don't want him to remarry again. Keep it at that. Yeah. But um, my biggest thing was, why do the moms always have to die? There's a very interesting theory that the mother has to die in order to help generate sympathy for the father, who's often oh. going to make some mistakes or he's going to, you know parent in a really weird way and as we'll see in this story he's going to make some very questionable decisions but as a widower we obviously have some kind of sympathy towards him because he's trying to raise a daughter without a wife he's you know the bumbling father in the sitcom who doesn't really know what he's doing who's freaked out when the daughter has a period and doesn't know what to do those mm. kind of things um but it makes us more sympathetic towards him because we're we're obviously going to be like okay he doesn't have a wife the daughter doesn't have a mother they're missing a part of their family structure. So we're going to be a little more lenient with him when he makes these mistakes. But also another one is that the mother can no longer be held accountable for anything because she's perfectly preserved as a dead person. You can't attribute blame to her for the story or how the story is going to unfold because she's dead. Like she had no idea this was going to happen. She couldn't have had the premonition that, oh, this is what my actions will cause you kind of have this matriarchal figure or this maternal figure who is now a perfect, kind, loving figure that we can't tear apart. I don't think this act of her dying should in any way be a a free pass for the king, especially with what happens next. I mean, bad bad stuff happens, you know, and we can sympathize, but that should not be a get out of jail free card. I, I mean, I agree. The queen then passes away. The king now searches far and wide for a woman more beautiful than his wife to marry. After a long time of searching, the king suddenly realizes that he has met someone more beautiful and wiser than his wife, his daughter. (laughs) Surprisingly, the princess does not like this idea, like, at all. Obviously, you're going to say, oh, he's a, the father's a widower, he needs sympathy, and then the father goes and does this, and you go, of course, there's no sympathy here for this. This is but just he... biologically wrong, it's ethically <sighs> wrong, it's morally wrong, and you know what? I, I have a tendency to blame the mom because I think she thought she was being very clever to set up this standard, but she had to know that the father wasn't going to find anyone like that, and... You know what, honestly, she might have not made the connection between, oh, he can't find a woman like me, he'll marry a girl like me, and that girl being our daughter. So it's it's hard to be like, okay, we can't, we can blame the mom, we can't blame the mom, but 100%, dad does not get a free pass, dad no. is creepy, dad is this weird. This is super creepy. Ugh. Super weird. <sighs> oh, I just felt so gross, like, looking at, when I first read this, it's like, oh my gosh, all these red flags. But the princess shares our sentiment that this, this is not right. She does not want this. So she does what anyone would do in her situation, and she seeks out her fairy godmother for advice. You know, as we regularly, frequently do, we just have access to fairy godmother. <laughs> no big deal. I mean, they deal. kill the mom, give you a fairy godmother, call it even. Ah, fine. We love fairy tale logistics. I love it. We make fun of it a lot, but I genuinely love the twists and turns that happen in this story. (laughs) So she goes to see her fairy godmother for advice. Hearing the princess's tale, she tells the princess to give the king an impossible task as conditions of the marriage. The suitor tasks. Suitor tasks! I love suitor tasks. I love when they get ridiculous. The princess is like, I don't want to marry anyone, but here you go. Do these things and I might marry you. And the guys go crazy trying to fulfill the conditions. 
Yeah, it's fun. And I feel like like the first task she's about to give is actually clever. But then we'll go through it and then I'll say why it's clever. And then it was not. The next day, the princess tells the king she will only marry him if he can bring her a dress as bright as the sun. So the king gets the best dressmakers in the land. And shortly after, he produces such a, a dress. The fairy godmother was shocked the king was able to produce such an incredible dress and tells the princess to ask for another dress with all the colors of the moon and the third dress with all the colors of the sky. At first, I thought this was very clever because when you said the first dress to be as bright as the sun, that's a subjective thing and you can always just say no. Yes, of course, he, he produced something that was good. You know, kudos to him. But you did not need to accept that. That was, like, no. She needs to take, she needs to take pseudo task tips from Princess, um, the Bamboo Cutter's daughter. What was her name? Kaguya. Kaguya, yes. Yes. If you don't want to marry someone, you give them, like, the most ridiculous thing. Like, I want a piece of the actual sun. And then if they go, well... I mean, I can't do that. Be like, well, I mean, if you loved me enough, you do it. Mm-hmm. I want a scale from a dragon that lives under the ocean and only comes out once every thousand years. Like, you have to set the standards a lot higher, girls. Come on. If you don't want to marry someone, ask them to do something so crazy that they'll just think that you're, that you're a psycho. And then be like, okay, yeah, I don't want to marry her anyway. Another thing, there is also a very obvious loophole here. Even if you have to say, fine, this dress is so stunning, you just have to accept it. The king did not make it. He just hired someone else to do it. Yeah, I feel like there's so many things you could say to, tw- to turn this around and be like, well, I want you to make it for me. If you love me so much, you'll make me the dress with your own hands. Or, I mean, I feel like there's so many things you could say to get out of this. Or at least mm-hmm. prolong it a little bit. Like, I, if the king believes it or not, he might just be like, you know what, this is the dress. I am going to say it looks like the sun, so therefore it is. But I feel like there's a little bit more you could say to try and make it a bit harder for him to just do it. Yeah. Like, even, if, even if this is, like, an actual dress that comes from the sun, you could just say, not that sun. I want it from a far- sun farther away. I want it from a star, like, over there. And also, the fairy godmother was shocked by this. I was shocked that she was shocked. I thought fairy godmothers were more like... I was shocked that she was shocked. <laughs> we're all shocked. See, I thought that she was going to ask her to tell the king to do something and that she would intervene and make it harder for that thing to happen. Yes! I, I don't know. I think fairy godmother is dropping the ball here. Yeah. Either way, I hope these dressmakers are getting very good commissions on this because they successfully produce... These two dresses, one with all the colors of the moon and one with all the colors of the sky. Inconceivable! I do not think you know the meaning of that word. Inconceivable. (laughs) Anyways, the princess is understandably distraught at this turn of events. But the fairy godmother has one last idea. So the princess asks the king for the hide of his marvelous donkey. The king very upset by this request, shows his priorities by immediately having the donkey killed and skinned. I honestly feel so bad for the princess at this point. I don't really understand why the king is is pushing this. I feel like at first you're like, okay, my wife died. I need some company. I'm going to, you know, keep my promise to her and find someone who's beautiful. And then you don't find anyone like that. So you go, I'm going to marry my daughter. But then when your daughter asks for the skin of your, you know, the donkey that's producing the money for your kingdom. Yes. I would just be like, you know what? My standards have dropped and I no longer think of beauty the same way. So, and it's not even about the heir because the princess is right there. She could very well be the next heir to the kingdom. There's no reason why she can't be. Or, you know, if we're going to go through the whole patriarchal system, there's no reason why her husband can't be the next king. Yeah, Exactly. This is just, like, a problem that's been caused because this king is stupid. I mean, here, here. And now, he's taken away the only source of money his kingdom has. Because I don't know, I, I don't really know if there's another source of money, obviously. But I feel like the donkey was way, was worth way more than the princess was. Well, apparently he does not agree because that donkey is killed, skin. How about, 
at least making sure like the donkey, you know, has an offspring of some sort that, you know, maybe you could like roll the dice on having another one like it later on. I don't know. Or if the king does know about this fairy godmother being like, hey, fairy godmother, give the princess a donkey as a wedding gift that can also poop gold. Yeah. None of this makes sense, but it is a fairy tale. And we have to remember, I think, that fairy tales or folk tales, a lot of them were written for adults. And they were supposed to Mm -hmm. be, like, entertainment. So the weirder, the stranger, just something you can enjoy when you're drunk or when you're, like, sitting around the fire, the better. You make a very fair point, which makes it really interesting that fairy tales today are really just known for being for kids. Which is one of the reasons why we're talking about this now, because they are way crazier than we remember them to be. I think when we're kids, we get like the Mother Goose version of stories where they kind of sanitize everything and they say, here you go, here's a moral lesson, you know, be good or else Ariel will turn into seafoam and will be trapped for the rest of her life. And it works. We're like, okay, I gotta be good otherwise, because I love Ariel. Yeah. We were so shocked when we first read that story. We're like, what do you mean? Well, it's an afterthought. I feel like a lot of the moral endings they add are just afterthoughts to the actual story. And the stories we read are often the written version, the written down versions of it. So we're not really tearing the oral tradition. So this could have been way funkier and way crazier. Just like, you know, Jack Spriggins was so weird and we hated him. But that's kind of what brings it all together is we have these fun stories that we like to tell. And we remember them because they're so weird. Man, I I really want to hear the original oral version of this. Although I probably won't understand it because it's in French. (laughs) But I digress. Parlez-vous français? Oui, monsieur. <laughs> and that's that's it. That's the extent. You should fear our French, but do not fear for our, our heroine, because the fairy godmother reveals that this was her plan all along. Sure it was. Of course, the failing three, four times, that was part of your plan. I'm of just course. a shocked Pikachu face right now. It's just me. That's my face. She instructs the princess to take the dresses and run away, wearing the disguise of the donkey skin. The obedient princess does and escapes the kingdom unnoticed, for the donkey skin disguises the wearer to be unrecognizable. It's unclear if that's how the special donkey skin works or the fairy godmother chanted it to be that way. In any case, our princess is free! Woo! And I thought the the story would actually end here. I I think we need a happy ending. We need the fairy tale happy ending where everything gets wrapped up and everything's all good to go. We can't just leave it as she runs away. I mean, that seems pretty good. We haven't seen a prince yet. Good point. Let's continue. But now that she's free, she now has to learn what it's like to be a peasant and not have, you know, money. After traveling far from her kingdom, she finds the farm of another royal family. The workers there take pity on the girl and let her work in the kitchen, despite her ugliness as she always wears that horrid donkey skin. I, I, you know when you have a visual of what something looks like when someone's wearing it? I have no idea how she's wearing this donkey skin. Is it just the skin wrapped around her? Is it, uh, like, the head of it comes over her like a hood? Is there something else to it? I don't really know, like, why would people be so terrified of her? Um, if it's just, like, the fur. Because I feel like a lot of people would be wearing furs during that time anyway. Mm-hmm, I feel like maybe mm-hmm. she she done something to her face, or it has to be magic in some way. Or I guess it's also the fact that if you just look regular enough that people just won't pay you any mind. Like, they'll obviously make a note, like, oh, that girl's wearing fur in the middle of summer. That's weird. But they don't really care besides that. If I recall correctly, the, the donkey skin also, like, smelled... Oh. It, like, the skin itself was also just really gross. Um, I've never actually, like, seen donkey skin, like, just to hide anywhere. So I don't, I can't validate if it's, like, gross looking to begin with. But maybe that's part of it. It was just not uh, preserved, right? A better plan would have been to tell her, uh, tell the king to gift her the donkey. And then just, you know, do the same runaway plan. But take the donkey with her. That way she has money and she can set up her own kingdom somewhere else. Ah, that's clever. Then she would have had a ride. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, she probably walked this entire way. I Ugh. know in some version of the tale, the, she's given a chest 
that magically follows her underground with all of her stuff in it. But Whoa. I feel like it'd be so much easier just to, you know, sit on the donkey, take it with you. It's a donkey. It's a means of transportation. It makes it's money. Money. You know, it's just, I feel like that would have been the better plan here. Unless, you know, the fairy godmother has foresight and she saw like 700 or 7 million different outcomes. And this is the <laughs> only one in which that, you know, the donkey skin is able to. Hold the Doctor Strange. Her. The Doctor Strange reference. <laughs> Unfortunately, we will never know for sure. But what we do know is that she always wore this donkey skin, would never take it off. And because of that, the workers at the kitchen and the farm would just call her donkey skin. I don't know why she wouldn't have corrected them and said like, hey, my name is like actually Sarah or whatever, but I guess she's a princess and a fairy tale. So she doesn't have a name. So th she thought this was probably an improvement to have a name. I digress. <laughs> her mom died before she's able to give her a name. <gasps> oh, now it's got sadder. No, we can't make the mama martyr. One day she decided she wanted to be pretty again. I mean, who wouldn't want to be pretty? Even just for a moment. So, she went to her room, locked the door, and tried on one of the beautiful dresses her father gave to her. But, wouldn't you know, right as this was happening, the prince came to inspect the kitchen. And as he walked about, he saw Donkey Skin's door closed. And, like a normal person, decided to peek through the keyhole. <coughs> Peeping Tom! <coughs> That's so weird. I remember reading that and being like, well... That's not normal behavior, is it? No! Like, I guess the king is, the, the prince, I guess, is wandering around trying to, you know, find something to do. Why not just knock on the door and ask if there's someone in there or just, you know, try and open the door? Why just go straight to taking a peek through the keyhole? Yeah. It almost seems like he's done this before. Yeah. Not gonna lie. And that gives me such creepy vibes. Yep. So we got a big old red flag here, but... Donkey Skin was not able to see it because, you know, she was the one being peeped on. The moment he saw her true beauty, I guess her true beauty only comes out when she's wearing a really beautiful dress or something. Yeah. He fell instantly in love with her. In fact, he then becomes very, very ill because he is so terribly in love. I mean, pull yourself together, man. You haven't even talked to her. You have just seen her from That's a distance it's, through a keyhole. It's, it's love at first sight, even if, you know, you're being creepy when the love at first sight happened. Unless both of them have the same feeling and they make eye contact, I get super creeped out by love at first sight. I, I do too. I feel like it's because I've seen just too many movies or read too many books nowadays where they make it so strange or kind of like stalkerish obsessive. But it just seems weird to me that you could look at someone and decide you love them without ever having taught, whatever, like, you know, spoken to them or anything like that. But it's just, it's weird because the next thing he should do is he should walk in and say, oh, hello, I am Prince so-and-so and I think you're really pretty. You want to go out on a date? Or, you know, because he's a prince and this is a patriarchal society, he could just be like, hi, I love you and we're going to get married now. And that would have been uh, it. Like, that would have been the next step to do. Um, yeah. So there's a series called You. Oh, the Netflix series? Oh, the yeah, Netflix yeah. series, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about this guy, basically, um, Joe, and he, he sees this girl, and he kind of comes up with this entire situation in his head where she, you know, falls in love with him, and she's this perfect person, and he kind of creates this, this image of what their love life is going to look like. And she always doesn't end up being like that. She ends up being, like, a normal person. And <laughs> he, he begrudges her for that, and he... You know, oh. kidnaps her and keeps her <laughs> well, he keeps her in like this glass cage under his under this like this library. It's really weird. That's very but, creepy. But it kind of goes into the whole intense feelings of kind of ownership you feel towards someone when you think, okay, I love this person, but in your head you've created this image of them or this identity for them that doesn't really exist. So yeah. I feel like there's no real winning when you do something like that because you've already set yourself up to fail. You have an image of someone that's not a real person. It's just the face of that person or, you know, their body, whatever it is you fell in love with. And you make up this persona for them. And then when they don't mm -hmm. measure up to it, as they won't, because, you know, they're not who you think they are, then you kind of feel resentful of them for not matching that persona. 
And it's kind of like that, where I'm like, we're never going to actually get that next side of the story where we see, okay, this is what happens next. But I feel like these happily ever afters don't really end well because the prince is in love with her in this dress. And her and her her in this dress might be really pretty, but that's not a personality. That's not like character. No. And she could be really, really, really ugly on the inside. But as long as she was pretty on the outside, he doesn't, like, he's fine with that. He doesn't know any better, obviously, but, you know. Apparently, wherever the king is at, they don't know where to get a love group. So they're all a bit confused as to what to do, especially the queen. The queen does not know what to do, and she's very upset about her son and his sudden illness. And so she asks about all of the normal doctors, and none of them can figure it out. No doctors were able to help at all during this story, I'm sorry to say. After trying to bribe her son to feel better with the offer of being king, because apparently that could work, it the works. prince... <laughs> I, I would feel better. I'm already feeling better. <laughs> the prince tells her he will only feel better eating a cake baked by donkey skin. Maybe he got hungry. Like, he was just really, really sick for so long, and he was like, you know what? I want something sweet. Maybe. All that peeping, man. I just need to eat something. I'm not as sympathetic towards him because of the peeping, but I kind of understand, like, when you're sick and you're ill, you suddenly just want something, and that's the only thing you want. Maybe it's one of those where he was just, you know, feeling sorry about himself, but then his mind was like, you know what, you're craving cake. I'm perpetually craving cake, so I understand completely what he's going through. You know not what? the lovesick she's, thing. She's a princess. Would she yeah. even know how to bake a cake? Well, the princess is currently employed working in the kitchen for the royal family. So whether she knew how to make a cake before coming here is up for debate. But she must have learned how to by now. Yeah, I was just thinking because I was like, wait, if I was a princess and I grew up, you know, with servants and everything, I probably wouldn't know how to do basic chores. But it's one of those, like, reverse rags to riches things where now Maybe she's, she's using a cake mix. <laughs> I love box cake mixes. We can't diss those. Well, no, I mean, those are easy to make. Maybe that's all she's doing. <laughs> it's one of those reverse rags to riches stories. So it's probably this, this thing that where she's humbled herself to be in the kitchens. And now she's doing a very almost, like, menial task where she's making a cake. Which, you know, any servant would probably be able to do. But as a princess, she probably would have no idea how to do it. Poor princess. She had to bake a cake. I'm so sorry for her. I am. I'm so sorry for her. So sorry. Here I am playing the world's tiniest violin for her. I'm so sad. <laughs> you know what? I'm not sad about the cake thing. I'm sad that she had to wear a gross donkey skin. If it was, if it was gross and to the point where other people wanted to stay away from her. I mean, it's obviously working. The fairy godmother did something that actually worked. But imagine, like, you're the one that's in that skin. It's disgusting. But the alternative is you don't wear the donkey skin and you have to marry your father, which is equally as disgusting. So I'll play the world's smallest violin for her for the cake thing. But everything else, you know, she's been dealt a really rough hand. And here, she's given an opportunity to actually prove herself. So she's the one being given the suitor's task. Reverse suitor's tasking. I'd love to see her on the next Great Baker trying to get through. Be like, how? How do I make a cake? The great what do you mean by a fruit cake? Uh, you want it an upside down? What does that mean? See, I I thought like that too before I watched the Great British Bake Off, and then I was like, you know what? I don't actually know how to do any of this stuff either. Bake Off contestant Donkey Skin agrees to make this cake for the prince, which. She does to the best of her abilities. I bet it was a bit stodgy, you know? I don't think Paul Hollywood would give her a good review. But the prince is very much in love with her, so he just devours it. But when he's eating it, he realizes there's a small ring in the cake. The original text is very much clear that it's not clear if Donkey Skin put the ring in intentionally because she saw him through the keyhole or something somehow. Or if it was just an accident, I personally believe it was intentional to choke the fool who demanded that she bake a cake out of nowhere. And she's like, dude, you know I don't bake. Why would you ask me that? <laughs> I like to think that there are several different narratives we can go through. Uh, one of them being obviously she did this intentionally that she, you know, 
put on the beautiful dress knowing the prince would be there to look at her. She put the ring in the cake to make sure that he found it. And so that gives us a princess that has a lot of agency and a lot of control over her own life, or at least an attempt to have control over her own life, where she's making things happen. She's setting off a series of events. Um, mm -hmm. In this narrative, I like to think that the fairy godmother is still there and helping. So the fairy godmother tells her, you know, like, as a female mentor, she's there guiding and she says, you know, put the dress on. And then she makes a situation happen where the king or the prince is, you know, peeping. And then she makes him really ill. Um, and then you have this magical illness that can only be cured by true love. And so she, he finds the ring, knowing that it's Donkey Skin's ring. And so that gives us a lot of intentionality there and a lot of purpose because everything's happening as part of a plan. Um, whereas I think the other narrative is that this is kind of like a topsy-turvy um, series of unfortunate events or fortunate events as it is. Everything just happens, coincide, everything just happens in a very specific way by accident. A comedy mm -hmm. of errors, I guess, uh, as Shakespeare would put it, where everything just happens, it happens and ends in a happy ending. But the princess, I mean, she doesn't know that the, the king is peeping. She doesn't know that her ring fell into the cake. She doesn't know that he got really sick. So it's all just happening and it's happening to her because it's her good karma from running away from her father. I like the one where everything's happening intentionally. This is like all planned out because I think it just makes for a fun story where you have a princess who's, you know, the trickster or the, um, what's the word for it? Like when you're... She's a manipulator? Yeah, it's like the one who's the instigator, the one who's who's the, who's masterminding this entire plan. Because I feel like that's a fun princess. I would want to go have coffee with her. I feel like that's a fun thing to do. Where she's she knows her situation sucks, but she yeah. can't live in this donkey skin for the rest of her life. So something has to happen for her to move on, and she made this happen. I like that story. The prince is thrilled to find this ring because he believes that means that donkey skin also feels the same way. So instead of doing the absolute logical thing of then approaching her and being like, hey, want to get coffee sometime, he just gets more sick. And no one knows what to do. So eventually the queen says, all right, enough is enough. You know what will cure this? Marriage. Marriage is the cure. It's it, it's a cure-all, right? You know, that's what they say. You, you know, you feed a fever, starve a cold, and for anything else, just get married. It'll be fine. <laughs> I have a more morbid take on this in that she thinks he's going to die. So she wants him to get married and have an heir somehow. And then, you know, if he dies, he dies. But that, that was kind of like my morbid thought process. I was like, okay, logically speaking, if the prince is this sick and there's no other like sibling take over, like, you, we don't want, you don't want like Uncle Gary to come over and take over the kingdom. Not or some Gary. weird nephew. So, you know, you get your son married, some, by some miracle or some occurrence, he has a child, and then, you know, you just, you rule as the queen. Then you're good. Until, yeah, you rule until the child grows up, and then you have another king. Okay, well, maybe that makes some sense, but this is also coming from the same queen who thought to cure the illness would also be him just become king. <sighs> so, by that logic, I think she's just throwing anything at the wall at this point, like, ah, Maybe this is what he wants. This actually just really sounds like a temper tantrum. Like, he's not getting what he wants, even though he is... He has even less agency than Donkey Skin, I'd say. He's just become sick. Like, I can't... I can't do it without her, but I've not talked to her or anything. His body just shuts down. He goes full Romeo. He's like, I can't do it. I. This is the only thing I'm going to think about for the rest of my short life. Maybe it's a good thing she's always worn that Donkey Skin. Like, what if this just happened on a regular basis? Like, men saw her and just would shut down, be like, I can't handle the beauty. Oh, so gorgeous. Actually, to give some credit to the prince, who I honestly have no sympathy for once again, you're a peeping Tom and a creep, do not like you. But <laughs> as another like narrative, aside from him having a temper tantrum where he knows he's going to end up getting married and be a king, um, lovesickness is actually something that's really common in Persian folktales. They, oh, really? Well, I mean, they put a lot of emphasis on love when bewitching so your love is craziness or madness and it takes a toll on you physically as well as mentally uh so there's a famous tale called Layla and Majnun and what happens in that tale is Majnun is given the name Majnun which means madness because of his crazy devotion to his lover Layla there's also a lot of fairy imagery and the characters of fairies 
who put curses on men or women and what they do is they drive you insane with enchantments and you think you love them and it's true love but you end up going crazy just looking for them and I feel like this is kind of what's happening here with the prince is he's not really under an enchantment or so to say but you know figuratively he's under an enchantment where he is in love with her to the point where his body is having a physical reaction and his body will not feel better until he's reunited with his love. Obviously, this works a lot better with, you know, a fairy bewitching a man in the woods, and then he goes on a quest to find her. Less so with a man who is literally in charge of the girl he's in love with, and he can just go down to the kitchen to find her. So it's less romanticized in that sense. But to give a little bit of background in terms of folktales, Bewitching love and illness with love are very, very um, closely tied together, specifically cursed love and needing to find or seek out or do some kind of quest in order to obtain the love of your life. Again, it makes a lot more sense when the love of your life disappears. Uh, a lot harder to say when she's literally downstairs. Like, yes. I, like, even if he just had a bell that he rung until like different servants like came through and then he just rung the bell on the right one, I feel like he's doing this to be dramatic because he's like, oh, I got to go on a quest, but I don't want to leave my bedroom. Which, to be fair, you know, I I would also take a lazy quest over one where I have to go fight a dragon or something. Okay, but the prince knows it's donkey skin. He asked specifically for donkey skin's cake. He knew what door he was peeping on. So, like, he knows who it is that he wants to be with. The next logical thing to think that he would do is say... Okay, mother, I will marry someone. I want to marry Donkey Skin. You don't need to elaborate. She's really desperate to get you to feel better. So she probably wouldn't question. Be like, yep, whatever you want, my boy. Please don't die. And that would be fine. (laughs) But instead, he doesn't explain that. He says, okay, I'll get married. I will only marry the one whose finger fits this ring he found in the cake. You know where she is. You could just say that and save the servants so much trouble, but no. Now we have to cue a montage of the servants going across the land, trying this ring on all these women's fingers, but of course none of them fit because it is such a small ring and everyone's fingers are just too big or not delicate enough. I know in the original Cinderella, they also have this this like kind of thing where the servant goes around, tries to get everyone to fit their either their finger or their fate into... um a ridiculously small either ring or shoe. In some versions of this story as well, doctors or, you know, magic men are going around telling people to, you know, shave off a little bit of the skin, shave off the bone. Like, you know, you can train your finger with, like, rope to make it smaller because they assume that they can, you know, somehow make their finger fit into this tiny, tiny ring. And this probably took a couple days at least. I would think weeks if they're going by horseback. Yeah, realistically... Weeks to months, but I, I'm being generous because it's a fairy tale and saying days. Honestly, I would say years. If you're going to, ever, I think in one of the stories, they do mention they go by tiers. They do all the nobles first. Then they do like the the middle class. Then they do like the lower classes. And they finally do the servants at the very end. So, so they went around, you know, probably summoning everyone from their summer homes to come to the kingdom, getting everyone to try on this ring. It's at least like, I'm pretty sure you spend at least, like, five, ten minutes trying to get the ring off of the bigger fingers. I, this was, like, years in the making. He spent years trying to figure out who fit this ring. When he already... At least Prince Charming in the Cinderella story, he had no idea who Cinderella was. He had no idea! This guy ah! knew exactly who she was. Cue montage. Servants running around. Couple years, most likely, go by. Finally, it was Donkey Skin's turn. The servants laughed at the thought of Donkey Skin being their future queen. Well, jokes on them, because the ring was a perfect fit. And to everyone's relief, she asked to change before meeting the prince. When she arrived at the palace in her beautiful dress, the richness of which had never been equaled, with her blonde hair all alight with diamonds, and her blue eyes sweet and appealing, and even her waist so slender that two hands could have encircled it, is it that obvious that I just pulled that verbatim from the text and that a man wrote this? It's just, it's so weird. I <sighs> get the full, I get the beginning part, but her waist so slender that two hands could have encircled it. That's such a random detail. 
it's random, but also it's just, it's just like one of those like weird fairy tale things. I remember that um, when the Cinderella live action came out, Lily James, the actress who played Cinderella, she went on and she talked in interviews about how that dress, like it looked like her waist was really, really tiny, mm -hmm. but how even she didn't look like that. It's almost like a troubling thing to say that her two hands could have encircled her entire waist. Because it's like, does she not have rips? Were they surgically removed? Maybe that's why. Maybe this is why the king couldn't find anyone that was as beautiful as his wife is because she was just like this other creature that did not have any ribs. That yeah. had, like, you know, nothing there. So you could just like hold your hands around it. It's really weird. I think it's, it's, it's such like a gross way of describing women as well. I I mean, I went a different route. When I read that, I went back to see if I could find her age because I was like, how young is she? Like, and how small is she actually? Like, She's got tiny fingers. She's got like a tiny waist. Maybe she's like a, like a Thumbelina type of princess. Maybe. I mean, that would explain like a ton. It's still super weird. When the prince but, was looking through the peephole, it was like it wasn't like through the peephole to the room. It was just through the peephole into the peephole where Thumbelina was just in there with her tiny little fingers. The the thing that stood out to me about this statement too in the original text is I felt like a lot of older stories I find are plot focused. I'm not sure if you agree, but mm -hmm. a lot of them like unless there's a very specific reason to be explaining uh, the world or what's happening. Character development, never a big deal. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's always the focus is moving the plot along. So character A gets to character B, they do action C, and they move on. And that's how this story works, too. This is actually a fair amount of time he spends describing how beautiful she is. And I found that kind of creepy in contrast to everything else that happened previously. <laughs> The problem is that she doesn't even have a name. Yeah. More time now has been spent on what she looks like and how small her waist is as opposed to giving her an actual name in the very beginning. And I feel like it's one of those things where fairy tales, they will pick and choose where to be descriptive and where to be kind of vague. And oftentimes you see characters having vague descriptions because you want them to be kind of stock, you want them to kind of fit in any scenario. And you don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, developing a character, giving them growth, giving them an identity. Who wants character development? Well, your character development is that you went from having to marry your ancestor's father to having a prince be in love with you and you get your happily ever after. That's kind of your character arc. Your character arc is, as you said, very plot driven. It's very uh, A mm -hmm. to B to C to D to end up happy or happily ever after or, you know, to end up with some kind of moral story that's there. And so it's. It's obviously like men writing women because men often write women in kind of this like satirical kind of way where they don't really attribute enough to other things that women would think when they see other women. Yeah. It does infantilize her quite a bit when they talk about how small her hands are, how tiny her waist is, how sweet and appealing her, sorry, how sweet her eyes are. Uh, these seems like things you talk about to a, about a child. Um, they don't seem to be like very like, not feminine, but, like, not, like, womanly things you talk about when you see another woman. It's very much the whole, like, glossed over fairy tale princess where she's probably 16, but more or less she's just there to be... Pretty. Well, yeah, she's there to be pretty. We see, like, Vastly the Beautiful. Um, she's there to be pretty. Like, her entire characteristics are that she's pretty. And even though there's other things to her, her name in the story is Vastly the Beautiful or Vastly the Fair. And the problem is that I think more women need to be writing or translating fairy tales and folk tales because obviously the oral tradition is going to be very different from what we see when we write stuff down. And a lot gets changed when you write stuff down, like either translation-wise, like from French to English, or translation-wise from just oral to written. Things get changed and mixed up and messed up and certain words that were used specifically to connotate something get changed. And so I feel like by having more women in the circles writing and translating and telling these stories, we would see a different kind of story come out just because of the perspective that you get, but also in the way that people view the world and the way they tell stories, it would be very different. I think you make a really good point. We, we obviously, the original author is, is male and that's what we're going to get. And we recognize that for a long time, men have been in power and they're 
the ones who write it. And so obviously they have a perspective, even if it's not intentional, um, but you're just missing a perspective. And I think it's really important kind of going forward that we really get that. If nothing else, at least in hindsight. Yeah, and at least it's if nothing else, it's there for criticism, like feminist criticism, just to be like, hey, mm-hmm. this is like af- this already been translated, it's already been written, but here is what we think, or here is how like this could be interpreted from this like field of study. So feminine as is important, but I think we can all get behind a happy ending. We give this story a lot of flack, but we really enjoy just the cliche fairy tale for what it is, and this story does deliver the ending in spades. She and the prince fall instantly in love all over again when they see each other, and they immediately get married. People from all over came to attend the wedding, including her father. And the prince was really thrilled to discover that his father-in-law was such a powerful king. So I guess he was okay overlooking the fact he tried to marry her, but I think we've spent enough time on that one already. Yeah, I don't, that's something that, you know, you don't just forget about until the next family, I feel like that's something you just, you bring up as often as you can to be like, dad, remember the time you tried to marry me? Huh? Remember that? Yeah, we're not going to talk. Yeah. I'll see you yeah, Christmas. that would it. pretty much be every conversation from then on after. Like, yeah, I'm still not over that. Let's... Yeah, it's like, um, I'm going to need like a couple of years to actually process that I had to run away from home because you tried to marry me. A couple of lifetimes. Well, people move at different paces. So it could have been a couple years, could have been a lifetime. It just, it's weird because, again, like we have the sympathetic father figure where we, we were just kind of like, all right, he didn't know what he was doing. He was, you know, he was, he got mad with the grief of losing his wife. He wasn't thinking straight. But there are some things that we have to be like, you know what? That's weird, bud. Yep, that's weird. To end this all off, the fairy godmother is, like we discussed that she might have been involved in some subtle way, but she's not been mentioned since Donkey Skin ran away from home. She makes a reappearance at this point in the story to then explain to everybody what happened. Because that was so important that we needed that just like summary that kind of makes me think that it has been orchestrated and that if some of it was all intentional to some degree i'd like to think that that's what i'm gonna think in my head in my head canon that this is what happened she had everything planned out this was all intentional they all had so much agency and free will and they made this happen yeah girl power so we have this princess who uh, runs away from home because her dad wants to marry her, but all the while taking a gross outfit that she wore all the time and some pretty outfits. And then she found true love with love at first sight and everything's fine. What are, what, what's the takeaway you think from this? Um, we mentioned, yeah, we mentioned earlier how there's always a moral, at least that they tack on. So I'm just kind of curious on your take. So I think when I first read this, I was very confused that the moral could be. Because it seems like the moral was, you know, run away from home if things are, like, weird. But I think if I was to make a serious guess at what the moral was to be, I would say that by not taking the easy way out, as in, like, marrying her father and just kind of, like, being passive in that respect, um, and just kind of going along with what the father figure, the, you know, the patriarchal figure asks of her, um, by not going along with that and kind of setting out your own route, you end up in a much better place, even though it's hard at first. So to me, it's, you could kind of read it as like a narrative of don't just do things because it's what's expected of you or it's what you're told to do. Kind of question why things are being asked of you and, Mm -hmm. you know, use your resources, use your friends, use your family, use your fairy godmothers to kind of make the right decisions and head towards the right, more challenging, you know, way. But take that way as opposed to just taking the easy way out and doing exactly what others tell you to do. You see, I think that's a pretty good takeaway. Charles, who wrote the original one, had his own idea and he wrote it out. And I'm just going to read you what he wrote. There's no better way to summarize it than just to say it. It is not hard to see that the moral of this tale is that it is better to undergo the greatest hardships rather than to fail in one's duty. That virtue may sometimes seem ill-fated, but will always triumph in the end. Translation, duh? It was obvious that it that you must go through trials to 
fail a duty, but the virtue of... I actually, I've read this so many times, I actually still don't know what it means. I will take a guess at it, but I'm, okay, so, I think what he's saying is that it's better to go through the, so the greatest hardships being, you know, being ugly, I guess, and having to live as a servant. Oh! Rather than to fail in one's duty, so that would be the duty to not marry your father. Rather than to fail in one's duty. I, I mean, I don't really, okay, so it's, it's hard because a lot of fairy tales have this trope where, you know, you have the patriarchal figure and they, specifically with the brothers Grimm, they make very clear family ties and family hierarchies where, you know, the father is in charge, you listen to your parents, um, otherwise bad things will happen to you. So I'm not quite clear what fail in one's duty means. I guess in one's duty to protect your, your yeah, exactly. Incest. I like. I don't know what is like your because I don't really see anywhere where she fails a duty because of anything by not listening to her father, she's failing in her duty as a daughter. So maybe it's saying it's as opposed to yeah. Okay, I can't make sense of it. I'm yeah, see, out, and the, the problem awkward. is it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in one's. But it doesn't make sense and. To top it off, he says, it's not hard to see that, so now we feel dumb because we can't see it, but it's not obvious, man. Come on. I don't have a problem with the second part of it. That virtue may sometimes seem ill-fated, but will always triumph in the end. Okay, great. That makes sense because, you know, it's her, the action she chose seemed like she was being punished for something that wasn't her fault, and, you know, it was all really rough because she was poor and she was a servant and people didn't like her, but she ended up happy in the end. It's the part where it's like fail in one's duty. The thing, the best thing I can think of is that's her duty to protect her naivety, her childhood, her kind of moral duty to herself and knowing that this is right and this is wrong and to stick up to that even when other people are pressuring you and saying, no, this is what you're going to do and having just that your own moral compass to be like, no, that's weird. Yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. That's the best I can get out of it, but there's no clear duty here to anything, as far as I I think. Fox, I'm getting confused, <laughs> and I think we just need to uh, make our way out of this story for now. But before we go, let's go over some of the other interesting finds we found in our five fantastic finds. Number one. So the Arnie Thompson Uther Index, or the ATU, classifies donkey skin as 510B, which deals with daughters who often have incestuous fathers due to the postmortem demands of their mothers. There are three types of tales that fall into this category. There are ones with three beautiful dresses and a recognition token such as a ring. The second type deals with a heroine wearing human skin and is common in the stories from Italy, India, and Japan. And the third type involves her hiding in furniture, such as a chest, in order to escape. At its core, this story is about a girl that disguises herself in order to get out of a troubling situation and uses whatever resources she has in order to, in order to secure a favorable ending. The deference to family obligations, oftentimes to the father figure, is openly spurned and instead our heroine actively secures her own prince. The message is standard throughout the different oral traditions of this story. Which is surprising given how oddly specific certain things are, such as the color of the dresses, the ring she puts into the cake, and the prince's sudden love-struck illness. Donkey Skin is one of those classic fairy tale princess stories that helped develop what the prince's archetype is and how we use it today, despite Disney's best efforts to subvert this trope. The princess is almost exclusively an agentless character. She will either be a damsel in distress, a prize to be won, or an obedient passive character, only acting when others tell her to do so. Think of Aurora from Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, or Snow White. None of them have agency and can honestly come off as rather annoying at times. Of course, this was originally the ideal woman, beautiful, obedient, and she needs a man to save her. But I think we've talked about this at length during our podcast already. Thankfully, this is starting to get changed over the years. Disney has made some improvements for sure, but for me, Fiona from Shrek is one of the standouts in really breaking this mold. When we first introduced her, 
she is desperately trying to fit into what she perceives as being a proper princess. But that's just not her, because what we get instead is actually a character, and it is refreshing. She can fight, she's self-reliant, and she actually is clever, consistently showing to be the voice of reason with Shrek. Number three. Fiona is a great example of not just the princess archetype, but of the disguise trope we talked about earlier. Fiona is cursed to look like a grotesque ogre, but she finds love and her happily ever after, despite her physical appearance. The story of Donkey Skin ranges through different parts of the world and has the protagonist wearing different disguises depending on regional elements. In Scandinavia, for example, the protagonist wears crow skin. In France, she wears a donkey skin. And the German version, she wears an array of skins. There is an element of natural and animalistic disguise here where the protagonist reverts back to a primal self visually and cannot rely on their beauty alone to find a temporary place to live. The more gruesome versions of this tale have the protagonist wearing the skin of an old woman. In some African and Indian versions of this tale, the protagonist obtains the old woman's skin through violent means of murder. The different types of disguises have different meanings to the characters and their storylines. By wearing an animal skin, the protagonist becomes known by that item and takes on a new persona. Whereas when they wear the skin of another, they are becoming another person that exists. Talk about a weird Halloween costume. In the story we told today, the donkey pooped out gold. Well, apparently poop isn't classy. Who knew? So in the Victorian era, this was changed to gold nuggets falling out of its ears, so as to keep the story classy. The act of sanitizing the story for different audiences is called bowdlerize. And it may not surprise you that this happens a lot to old stories, even modern ones too. And there's a lot of reasons for this, from wanting to make mature story kid-friendly to making it more accessible to different cultures, or just the fear of needing to be politically correct. My favorite example of this in action is the English dub on the Japanese anime Sailor Moon from 1992. The show had a lot of small tweaks between its Japanese original version and its English dub that can be spotted well throughout. Not, not just changing simple things like uh, how they would refer to different objects, but also changing wholesale what certain characters in the story were doing or saying or behaving. Some of the biggest examples from this in the original ver Japanese version, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune were lesbians, but in the English dub, they were cousins. Or like in DIC's dub of episode 50 for the English version, or 56 for the Japanese version, in the dub, Makoto declares that she should play the role of Snow White because she has the most talent. Instead, the original version has Lita saying Makoto should play Snow White because she has the biggest boobs. Number 5. Speaking of sanitizing scenes, remember the horrific moment Bambi's mother died? And actually, most fairy tale princesses and princes... Mothers dying? Mother-daughter relationships are often at the forefront of many stories, except for fairy tales. It seems that oftentimes we see absent mothers, dead mothers, or our replacement, the evil stepmother. Protagonists fall into patriarchal setups where they are devoid of any real choice and they are given older female mentors to guide them, such as grandmothers, godmothers, or witches. But why replace the mother figure with the fairy godmother figure? One theory relies on the restrictions that occur in a father-daughter relationship if a mother figure is present. Without a mother, the father is solely in charge of his daughter and can set the standards for her behavior. He is also, as we mentioned before, cast as a sympathetic figure as a widower. And so we are able to forget about him when the evil stepmother takes over. In Donkey Skin and other stories, we see another common trope of daughters being compared exclusively to their mothers to the detriment of both characters. The mothers, thinking themselves clever, prevent their widowed husbands from finding love again, but by setting ridiculous standards, they unintentionally set their daughters up as their successors. Even though this is very obviously messed up, we can't attribute blame to the mother because the mother is protected by her own death. The mothers become kind of these all-overarching angel characters that exist in references only, and it's kind of a setup for what a female character should end up like. In some cases, that's being kind. In some cases, that's being clever. In Donkey Skin, we see that Donkey Skin ends up just as clever as her mother and outwits the president set by her own mother. For some reason, Fox, I am super hungry now and I'm super craving cake. What about you? So am I, but I just, 
I just don't cook with my with any jewelry on, so I probably won't drop a ring into it. Sorry. Dang it. You'll have to find true love some other way. Ah, oh, gosh, dang it. True love another way? Well, I guess I won't find it in this story, so I'll be moving on for now. So will I. If you want to hear more from us and find out where our next tale will be, come join us anytime on Twitter at From Enchanted or Instagram at Tales from Enchant Forest. Or if you're old school like Sparrow, you can always email us at talesfromenchantforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions, so if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. And sometimes, if you stick around long enough, you might hear some bloopers. Us? Make a mistake? <laughs> Never. And his story, Doralice, and Jampita. Uh, Jampatista. Uh, I'm like, what's his name? <laughs> and... Either way, I think we're pretty much ready to go. You ready? I'm all ready to go. All right, let's go. Transition. This story is weird and funky. Now we will retell it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, oh, that's, oh, that's going in the bloopers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>